fourth episode, I believe this is our fourth episode, and we do this series every month, and always excited to have everybody listen to us. I was just looking at our at our broadcast, and we have listeners from all over the world. In fact, we even got listeners from from it. Looking, I was so blown away. We have listeners from Romania, from Sudan, from Japan. Canada, US, all over the world. So it's so exciting to see an episode like ours, the Authenticity Series, Dandy Line Perspective, growing so quickly. And we just started this year. So thank you to all of you listeners. I am so excited to be here. And you're listening to this podcast because you do care about the young people and you do believe in them. So today what I'm going to do, I'm going to start off with a letter that I wrote in 2020. And I wrote down, Dear 2020, I remember having my list of outcomes that I was going to achieve in 2020. I had no idea what the future held. Then the pandemic happened. The cases of mental health tripled. There were people already feeling lonely and isolated. The pandemic didn't help. When you are physically ill or you're sick, you go to the doctor. When you have a mental health It is a constant commitment to remind yourself that you are lovable. So you just reach out to people out there who are doing the great things, the helpers, the creators, the influencers. You see what they're doing. And my guest today is doing just that. I am so excited to have her join us today. She has gone through this mental health journey. She's helping the young people go through this and also find their lovableness. And I'm so excited, excited to have her. But before I introduce her in about one minute, I'm just going to let our new listeners that are listening and also our, our regular listeners to just remind them what this episode is all about. Now, the Dandelion Perspective is the authenticity series, really. And it's about the youth because the youth have been told that they are the leaders of the future. But... Are we listening to them? They are the now. In the, in the episodes, I will be talking to young people as they share their stories on how they have turned their upside down experiences right side up by being authentic with their dandelion perspective. In the show, we, talk, we also talk to parents or on parenting skills and experts They all share their research-based solution for a greater wellness in understanding the youth. So often we talk about the youth, but they are not given a seat at the table. However, the Authenticity Series will be giving the youth the microphone to speak up and sit at the table. We can understand the issues they face both socially and physically, as well as mentally and spiritually. I'm Harriet Tinker, and I'm excited to have you here. And I am going to give you an introduction to our guest today. I'm so excited. Her name is Audion Welch, and I think I may have butchered her name. She'll correct me if I did. She's got a lovely name that most people always get wrong when they pronounce it. Now, Audion was born in Edmonton, and she is a best-selling author. And her book is called Breakthrough. I've read this book. In fact, she 
I was honored to be asked to be the forward of that book. So I'm so proud of the book and I think we should all get it. She will speak a bit about it as well when I, when I bring her on. She suffered from depression and anxiety all her life. And she now aspired to share her story to help minorities, particularly women and young children. Audience vulnerability to show how she broke through personal struggles demonstrates that we are not alone. So if you think you're alone out there and you're going through this mental health challenge, do not worry. Audion is going to show you that you're not alone. There's this stigma about mental illness. So she's going to put it all together. We're going to unpack the topic and she's going to share the wonderful things she's doing in the community. And I can't wait to have her speak. So without further ado, I would like to introduce my guest today. Audion, welcome. Thanks for having me, Harriet. It's so exciting to be on your podcast. You do so many great things within the community. So to kind of join forces with you is super exciting. Oh, thank you. I feel honored. You have so much to to share with the world. But before we even begin to to tell everybody who's listening or listeners today, I'm going to just start off with your background. Just tell us from where you want to start off from, you know, your background first, so people know exactly what you're all about. Oh, well, I feel see, it's funny because I'm still technically a young person, I like to think, but my background's so big. So do you want me to talk about like my work background, my educational background? Where do you want me to start today? I think it'll mix it up together because we want to know, you know, you're a very well-rounded person. So just start off with your a little bit of your childhood, your education and where you're at. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, so my name is Odian Welch. Uh Harry, you're doing a great job saying it. The biggest thing is to end it in in instead of on. And um, yeah, and so my my mom immigrated here and had me and my twin brother a few years later. Uh, And so it was a really interesting experience. I was born and raised in Edmonton. I moved away a couple times, but like any regular Edmontonian, you always come back. and so, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely like a really interesting childhood. I suffered with trying to figure out my identity a lot, low self-esteem, as you talked about depression and anxiety. Um, we grew up really poor. Uh, so I was like in the system, in Edmonton housing, lots of different things. And it really helped shape my journey. And I always say like, yes, I was the one who persevered and did the work, but though I couldn't have done the work without the people around me. And so lots of great resources um, that helped me and sometimes caused harm. I won't lie about that. Uh, And so it just became this journey of figuring things out and figuring out where I belonged and lots of interesting stories along the way that led to me kind of finding a love for education and um, getting multiple diplomas and degrees and I'm currently studying my master's um, and just like an interesting work journey. Um, I actually work now creating mental health programs for black youth and uh, just I also like to always mention that I am the coolest auntie ever. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's wonderful. That shows confidence, that's for sure. <laughs> so I know I, as you're growing up, you're obviously going through what every young child goes through, which is at the end of the day, you want to be happy. Were there moments as you're growing up that made you feel that you were different from the other people that you were seeing in around you? You know what? Um, I like 
I, when I was born, it mixed race children wasn't as big of a thing. So mm-hmm. I was like the new one. So I went to a school, I went to a few schools, we moved around a lot. But um, I was either like the only black kid, or if I like me and my brother weren't the only black kids, we were the only like, there was someone who would be fully black, and then we were mixed. And it was always, where do we fit in? And um just like cultural differences and understanding that. And so it was, um, especially I went to one school and it was very predominantly East Indian children. And now I'm this oddball. So it didn't really matter what community we moved into. We are always the oddballs. And there wasn't a lot of, like all of my friends had two parent households and lived there their whole lives. And so I looked different. I had a different lifestyle at home. It was poor. It was like, yeah, I just never knew where I was supposed to fit in. And I never felt like um, I got there because my brother is super smart. Like he literally is a genius and I (laughs) wasn't. And so there would always be like a lot of comparativeness with teachers being like, well, your brother's getting this. Why aren't you getting it? And so it was a really interesting journey to never felt like I belonged. So as you're going through this and there's a lot of comparison, comparing you to your brother or you comparing yourself to others. So now you're beginning to see the mental health being affected. Was that the beginning of you noticing that or did it start even earlier than in school? You know, um, I didn't actually know I was suffering from anything realistically until I was probably about 18 is when it really became apparent because I came from that household of you're in Canada. What do you have to be upset about when you were upset? <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. but when I look back at it, there was like, there was bullying, there was picking on, there was feeling out of place. So um, especially like my anxiety and panic would probably have started in like junior high. Mm-hmm. Oh, junior high. Because a, a lot of people, when they're going through, because when you're stressed, you're going through all these different mental health challenges. People don't think it's stress. They don't think it's mental health because in most people, there's a stigma. Mental health means you have schizophrenia, you have anxiety. But when you're going through other things, they don't identify it as a mental health, which it is. Because mental health is one of those things that is invisible, but real. Did you seek help along the way? Did you talk to anybody? You know, I didn't talk to anybody until I was literally 18. And the reason for that is um, my best friend had unexpectedly passed away and it became this whirlwind Mm. cycle. But yeah, it was the same thing. Like when I was young, just how you're talking about people hear mental health or depression, anxiety, and they think you have to be the most extreme case but it's little things. And there's a lot of things that like you fight through in silence. Like my suicidal thoughts, I fought through in silence and didn't tell anybody and um, that insecurities. And so it was really easy to like brush off what I was going through as teenage behavior. Like if I got home from school and all I did was go into my room and lay there and sleep until the next day, or I'd sleep all day of a Saturday and Sunday, it was like, Oh, she's growing. But it really was just like, no, I don't want to get out of my bed. Right. But it's like, and I think as a society, we're doing a way better job with youth now, like asking them how they're feeling or if their behaviors are different or why they might be isolating themselves. But back then, it really wasn't the thing, if that makes sense. 
Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does actually. I actually <laughs> understand what you're saying. You mentioned that you lost uh, a friend that I unexpectedly, and I do. A, I do my condolences to you, and I'm sure you've gone through a lot of uh, a, a, a process to get through that. When that happened, how? What did you do? Did you just close off? Did you? Because I know you said you didn't really. Oh, I didn't um, seek help at the time. I did not take it well at all. Um, it was, uh, I really internalized it and blamed myself for not doing more. And um, I was staying with an aunt at the time. Um, and it was the same, like, I pretty much, uh, I don't know, do you remember when it was cool to have a computer room? So she kind of, she had like, like the room had a, a computer had its own room. And so I was mm-hmm. staying in the computer room with the bed and I would just be on Nexopia, which now I'm aging myself, but it was like right before Facebook came out and I would just sit in the room, listen to sad music. Like all I did was go to work and come back and I wasn't working as much as I normally did. I had no drive to go to school anymore. Like I was just kind of this bleak, hollow existence. And um, finally a couple months in, like a couple of friends were like, you got to get over this, but like we're 18. So it was kind of like, go get drunk. And that wasn't the answer. And so I'm really grateful for my aunt. My aunt's like, yo, I think you're depressed. You're going to the doctor and took me to the doctor. And really that's when it was, became really apparent about that and kind of started helping me understand what depression was and what anxiety was and how it can show up and how it shows up in me. Mm, yeah. So, because I know when you're going through, when you, when you're, when you're hurt, you want to make other people bleed. Because you feel, okay, if I'm hurting, I'm going to hurt other people. So you're redistributing your pain to other people, which is unfortunate. And, and people do that intentionally or unintentionally, sometimes to seek, to seek attention because they want the help and they can't get it. And they figure, well, if I hurt somebody, maybe the attention will be noticed and I'll get the help that I need. If somebody's going through what you went through back then when you were just didn't really seek the help that you needed. What would you recommend they do right now? Well, I wasn't in like the hurting others phase. I was just in the like isolating deep hole phase. But it's Mm -hmm. so important to talk to somebody like who's not necessarily in your circle, right? Because it's so easy to get angry and be like, you don't understand what I'm going through, right? Like my friends that were able to just kind of get on with life as it was, it was like, well, you weren't as close as me and her were. And I had all these reasons why they couldn't understand what I was going through. So speaking to somebody who is a different person, like not as closely knit, so you can't find reasons to not accept what they're saying is huge, right? Because when it's somebody who had hasn't had any of that associations, then they can help you look at it from the bigger sp- picture. But when somebody you know like let's say your other friend is trying to get you through it, but they're figuring it out themselves. Like it can be a really like a situation for disaster and it can be a way to justify not healing. And so the more someone is removed from the situation, the better they are as your support system. Oh, that, that's a good point. But if somebody is saying, well, I'm okay, I don't need help. I just want to stay in my own space. I don't need the help. Just go away. I need to be on my own. So for somebody like that, what 
what would, what do you think would be best to do? Because there's people are a lot people a lot of people, especially with the pandemic, they've just been isolated. They've felt alone. They don't really want to reach out to anybody, even though that's exactly what they need to reach out to what you said, somebody who's far removed from their network so that they can get the help. If somebody's just feeling down in the dumps, what is it that they can do on their own? Mm. Well, first reading, like I love reading as an author. I love reading, but there was Mm. Paulo Coelho is like hands down my favorite author. And um, in one of the bad states of my life when my depression was really bad. um, He has a book called Veronica Decides to Die, which I know is the most depressing title. Um, But it is. Yeah, it's such a good book about talking kind of about like isolation and being alone and why we get in our heads and the pressures we put on ourselves. And like, you'll definitely cry while you're reading it, but you'll realize like, Oh wait, like this guy wrote this, he's all the way in Spain. And this is like some of the things I'm thinking. Cause like wherever you are, especially if you're in a hard place in your life at that moment, it's very relatable because the main character is from the outside looking in has everything, but inside she feels like she has nothing and her journey with that and so it's like wait this 80 year old male wrote this book um Mm -hmm. and it's like so even if it's not a book like you don't want to sit there and read um but or an audible or a podcast like we're on today there's things you can do where you don't actually have to interact with anybody but you're interacting with somebody without knowing it and um there are like are like even if someone's like well I don't want help but I don't want to feel alone. We don't have to read a self-help book or listen to a self-help book, but there's just pick you um, just books about stories or things you're interested in and knowing that other people have those interests. And we hate on social media a lot and don't get me wrong. Social media can be a very toxic and negative place, but mm-hmm. if you find something that you're interested in, that can help too. Like I um, am a cosplayer. I am by no means the best type of cosplayer it's more of my nerdy fun creative space and Mm -hmm. so during this pandemic I haven't been able to do that and that's kind of like my connection to my nerdy self so to speak and so for me it's been following a lot of cosplay pages and looking at that and getting ideas for like when things are back to normal in that sense and um, finding hope in the things that you do want to do and those habits and those connections is so crucial because you can still choose to be alone, but not feel alone. Oh, did you say cause player? Yeah. So it's like when people dress up like superheroes and comics and mm-hmm. go to comic cons and things like that, that is one of my like little feel good hobbies. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. I was trying to define that. It's like, what is that in case our, our listeners don't know what that is <laughs> kind of like me. I didn't know. So thank you for clarifying that. That is great. Some of those, those tips that you're giving out great. And I found for me, when I, I went through the same thing at one point and I found journaling, like writing that yeah. journal, which is uh, similar to reading, like you're writing down your feelings, your own personal therapy. Like nobody has to read my book because this is my therapy. This is how I feel. So, so it helps you in those moments when you're feeling down in the dumps. Yeah. Or even so dancing, like journaling's huge. That's a great yeah. one. I don't even know why I didn't think of journaling just now. Um, but you yeah. said that like dancing, like if I'm really feeling mm-hmm. hard on myself, um, I have like a few songs that just no matter what's happening, they make me want to like dance by myself and 
just get like those endorphins happening, right? And so it wouldn't yeah. be this hardcore workout in your living room. It could literally be dancing to Whitney Houston. Like <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. You you've done so much in your career. You're still young. You're you're still under thirties. You're thirty one, I think. I remember. I'm gonna but avoid you've done that so question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I know you're still you're you're still a youth and you've done a lot and you're even working with the youth because they are definitely making you feel young. And that's important because we want to send out the message to the young people to to debunk any sort of a perception that people have about young people. You if you were to think about the one thing that you wish you knew before you started your career, what would that be? ask for help <laughs> um oh, okay there's you know you, like when I first started my career and like yeah, you said like now I get to work with youth and it's so cool because I get to implement the things that like as, as youth so to speak talk about in conversations mm-hmm. I get to go to the table and bring them how you were saying I mean like this is how they're thinking um this is how yeah. we think and so uh but when I first started my career I was so worried that I didn't want someone to know that I didn't know it um, and when yes. I finally realized it was okay to ask for help, um, mm-hmm. it helped me grow relationships with coworkers and especially management because it showed like I was willing to learn. And it's still important mm-hmm. to like take some initiative and try and figure out yourself. But really like asking for the help, asking to know where to go. And it also helps like I've worked in environments where people get mad that you're kind of asking a question and those are toxic environments. So then you know like, if these people don't want to help me grow, this probably isn't where I should be spending more time than I do in my own bed. Cause that's what they say about work. But um, mm-hmm. really just asking for help and you don't know how to do something, asking how to grow your career. Like, Hey, I want to be you one day. What did you do? Um, and that, cause there was a lot of lessons that I had to learn the hard way and kind of, it doesn't have to be like hiking up a hill. It could be a nice mm-hmm. passive walk up a hill. <laughs> Yeah, I like that metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. What about you? We all need to, yeah, you have to take step by step mm-hmm. for sure. Oh, for me, oh, my, my goodness. I, I, I like what you said. Ask for questions. Don't be afraid. Don't be shy. People, you'll be amazed how many people will help you. So for me, similar to what you say, I would say I would recommend get a mentor, which is similar to what you're saying. Get a mentor. Ask all the questions that you need to ask. Don't be afraid to fail because failure is a lesson. It's not saying you can't do it. It means that when you fail, you're just going the wrong way. You should have gone left instead of right. So reset yourself and carry on with your path. So that's what I would really say from my or my perspective. That would be one of the things. You you have um you're working with a lot of uh, young women as well as a youth, and what I understand is where you work in the African Center. Talking about mental health is not the norm because a lot of the people who come from different countries, they come to the U.S. or they come to Canada. It's it's something that we can talk about here in the Western world. Like it's an open conversation. However, in people coming from different countries, and I've spoken to a lot of people from different countries, and they say mental health is not a subject that's open. It's something that's closed in because they say, if you're talking about mental health, they say, oh, there's something wrong with you. You've been you've been bewitched, so to speak. I know I spoke to a lady who said, in that country, if you are you're talking about mental health, there's something wrong with you and everybody will just 
ban you from being spoken or they'll hide you somewhere. So it's not the norm in some countries. What are the things that you are having conversation with, with people coming into your center and they're talking about mental health because it's a, it's something that's invisible, but real. We don't talk about it as much and we should. What are the open conversations that you're encourage, encouraging them to do now? Well, it's interesting because like, yes, totally as um, like in a lot of minorities, mental health isn't a thing. And there's even languages that mental health or depression or anxiety aren't words in the language uh, because that's mm-hmm. how much it's not accepted or believed in or thought of. And um, the it's so amazing because like, I'd say like this current generation, we'll call it like, what is it now? Generation Z or Yes, Um, it was X and then Y. Now I think we're down to Z. Yeah, I think now there's new words. Like I don't even know what happened there. Um, But they want to talk about mental health and they want to talk about how to explain it to their parents. And it's um, their interest in having a space to go to that's culturally appropriate. Um, Mm -hmm. And like you can tell like when they're learning about things is actually making them happier is causing curiosity in parents and so I'm seeing that as like the youth get more engaged in it and get positive results from it the parents Mm -hmm. are more willing to kind of even entertain the conversation for a few seconds right or they're not no you can't do it it's like okay because I I've had this conversation with people before parents don't want you to be miserable but they want you to be safe so when like as black females, we often get the either you have to become like a lawyer, engineer or doctor or you have to get married and have lots of children. And um, <laughs> but a lot of it is like um, kind of like old school thinking about keeping it safe. Like as a parent, you know, if my child, if I have a daughter and she gets married to a good man and has kids, she'll have something to keep her busy. She'll have love. She'll have a roof over her head. Like there's that thinking. And then. When it's the career, it's like, these are careers of prestige, she'll be respected. And it's about, it's not about trying to make you miserable in their minds. These are like, these are safe choices and I'll know you'll be okay. And so Mm. when people kind of go outside the norm, if they can show they're happy doing something that normally parents would be like, what the heck is this? They usually jump on board. And that's not every parent for sure, but so many parents are like, oh, wait, my child's happy. Okay, let me see what this is all about. And so the stigma that exists, I think it's more important that we work with the youth and then kind of get the youth to bring it and show the positive effects than it is to kind of beat the heads of an adult who might be stubborn and stuck in their ways. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Well, and I, I believe you talked a lot about things like that in your book. Tell about Tell, tell our listeners about this book that you wrote. I believe you wrote it about two years ago and it's still on Amazon. It's doing well. And I encourage people to go and buy this book. So tell us, tell us, tell us about it. Yeah, the book is fabulous. Uh, obviously a little bit of bias, but um, I use the proceeds to actually donate it to uh, mental health and other things that can affect mental health. Um, and it's really just about my journey. And so I talk about various triggers that affected my depression and anxiety and what worked and didn't work because right now media does a great job of making it seem like if you are going through something you just need a band-aid like if you go talk to a shrink 
you'll only have to talk to them once and then you're better. Or if you take an antidepressant, you'll take it for one day and you're better. And it's not, it's a journey and it's about recognizing what's causing those things inside of you. So I talk about like each one and like those family pressures and those work pressures and dating pressures and things that influenced my depression and affected them and what worked and didn't work and how it's super important that like something that may work to help you, let's say today for something you're going through might not help you the same way five years from now. So it's about being open and kind of filling your toolbox, like your mental health toolbox with lots of skills that you can use when you need. And um, so, yeah, it's really that journey and also taking a look at it from the perspective of when you're not depressed and how to understand someone, because if you're not depressed or you've never been depressed, it can be really frustrating when you see somebody depressed and you're like, Oh, like, no, don't be depressed. You have so much going on and how to approach it and how to understand that. Like how you were saying earlier, like hurt people, hurt people, like, how they're coming off to you really has nothing to do with you as a person. It's them processing what they're going through. And so it talks about like tips and tricks of understanding somebody who is going through that. Um, and really just focusing on one, letting people know they're not alone, especially in narratives that aren't talked about so much in our society um, from that everyday perspective. And then um just, yeah, like just all that. I think actually um, it's interesting because somebody had reached out to me a few weeks ago and read the book and said, I thought I was the only person who got cock and walk. And they had felt so ashamed by the like sexual experience of cock and walk that they had hit it. And that was something that had really surprised me because like with my friends that I have, we're very open with each other about experiences and we had had that conversation once like about like people getting roofied and people this and like talking about what we had gone through. And for us, it was a very freeing experience, but not everyone gets to do it. And we kind of act like people's drinks don't get spiked anymore. We still have this stigma. Like right now there's a lot of stuff about women, but that it's the women's fault and it's never the women's fault. Like someone intentionally did harm to you or tried to do harm to you. That's not, your fault and so I talk a little bit about that not too too much because I can't talk about it for a long period of time without needing some help for myself but really just sharing it and like sorry um do you know what cock and walk is no I was just gonna ask what is that so (laughs) it's when someone gives you a ride and then Mm. they take you like usually to an obscure place or maybe just close enough to your house and they expect fellatio I'm trying to use politically correct words right now. Um, Or they won't drive you home and they'll tell you you have to walk home or like sex and walk. And there's like, there's people who will be like, no, I'm out of here. Or there's people who have like felt they've had to um, depending on the situation. And it's so common. And even like men I know who read the book were like, that actually happens to girls. And it's like, yeah, no, I know like at least 10 girls that had that experience. And Mm. so it's like not cloaking it in shame. Um, And that's Mm. something that was like really important too, is like, I didn't share my experiences in full, full detail, but it was like, Hey, you know what? I've had these experiences and I'd like to think I'm pretty smart. So um, 
it can happen and it can happen to the best of us and it can happen by people we trust. And my situation happened by someone that I trusted. And uh, yeah, it's so there's just so many pressures. And so the book, to bring it full circle, talks about all these different mm-hmm. things that we don't necessarily talk about that can really affect our mental well-being. Yes, the book, you get really vulnerable. I remember reading it and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so raw. The things that you talk about, but it's your story. This is not something that was made up. This is something that you went through. This is things that had an impact on your mental health. But the beauty of it, you just talk about everything and it's it gives people hope as you're reading it because you know, even though she's going through this, you know, at the end of the day, she wrote the book because she's okay now. Mm-hmm. So that's a very hopeful message that everybody should know. And I would definitely encourage everybody listening. If you, if you go to, and you can give a, the audience where they can buy the book. I know it's on Amazon still. I yeah, always um, Google and I see the book. It's pretty much everywhere, but iTunes and Barnes and Noble. Um, right now with Chapters mm-hmm. in Indigo because of the pandemic and distancing, it's hard to like keep copies in there because it's a big whole rigmarole. So I just really encourage everyone to go to Amazon right now. Um, mm-hmm. And there's like a Kindle version and there's a real book version. And same with uh, you, Harriet, because you, um, I'm not sure if you've shared your story with your speakers, but you do such a good job of inspiring people with your journey and your story. I know you have your books as well that are great tools that um, people can use as well. Um, I'm not going to say this title right, but the Pearls of Success book, and then you have your self-esteem book. And so those are mm-hmm. people, um, I share that one so everyone else can go grab Harriet's books. But to remind people (laughs) that there's so much power in sharing our story. And, you know, there's a quote of like, oh, we think that we're not supposed to be powerful, but we're actually supposed to be powerful beyond belief. And we think, oh, my story is not that interesting or my story is not that important. But someone needs to hear your story because you never know who needs to hear it. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's so true. And thank you for the little plug on my book. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you so much. I really, I absolutely like the message that you're saying. And I think there's an African proverb, and I'm trying to remember how it goes. Is If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So I feel that's what exactly we, as a community, we try to do. And that's exactly what you're doing. Because you're doing, you don't want to go fast. You want to go far. So what you're doing is is making a huge impact in the community and you continue to do that. It's such a big deal what you're doing in in your career right now with the young people, the women and sharing your vulnerable story and all of those things that that we all need to learn about. So thank you for doing what you're doing. So what are the biggest influences in your life right now or who had a big influence in your life? Um, well, in my life, my grandpa, I always say is my best friend. And then he goes, ha ha ha. But he, um, we, we, I didn't get a big relationship with my grandfather growing up, but, uh, mm-hmm. now we have a great relationship and he's like my biggest cheerleader. And whenever something good happens, he's the first person I call and he's slow and steady. And as long as I'm happy, he's happy kind of thing. And I can tell sometimes he's like, what craziness are you getting into right now? But even if he's completely mm-hmm. against it, he'll never say he's against it. So um, I say that because <laughs> right before the pandemic, I scaled a building 
for Easter seals. And he was like, you could kind of see on his face. He didn't want me to do it. And then afterwards he was like, well, I'm glad you're okay, but let's not do this again. Uh, but he lets me, he gives me permission to try new things and take risks. And so that is super powerful for me. Um, I have a lady who's been there most of my life and I call her my aunt and she's not actually my aunt, but she is um, a great influence on me. Uh, my nieces and nephews and godchildren are huge influences on me because they, the hope they have in their eyes and the excitement, even the older ones, it keeps me going and it reminds me to be who I needed to, like who I needed when I was their age. And so I always work to be that person in their life. And um, there's authors like Paulo Coelho still is a big one for me. Um, Jen Sincero, I love biographies. Uh, and I, oh, and my brother, I have to give, I always have to give my brother a shout out, but most of the time, just, <laughs> yeah, most of the time he just drives me crazy. But <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I definitely say that. And I think too, um, it's so moving right now to see people sharing their stories, like the Me Too movement and the women's movement. It's, um, I love when I see people share their stories in an impactful way without um, demoralizing others. And that I always find so inspiring. And so I just think the world, like, yes, we get mad at the world and we get mad at this pandemic right now, but the creativity mm -hmm. in humans is amazing to me. And, you know, all these home businesses popping up on Facebook. There's a lady I buy chocolate-covered soothers from now. And I, yeah, Ooh. and I just saw her on Facebook. I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, um, she's, she's like, I lost my job, and I always made them for my kids. So I thought, mm, let me just do this right now. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'll take 30. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure I could probably make them myself, but I like that she has them. And so there's so many nifty businesses and what people are doing through this pandemic to one, figure it out, but find themselves is just, it's remarkable to me, right? And just how we're changing as people. And I know most people don't like this pandemic, but when you look at like what we're doing or how people are walking more or like uh, my granddad, for example, Video calling him two years ago was a not going to happen. <laughs> and mm -hmm. yeah. it's like, and watching the beauty in it, because at first um, I would mainly talk to the ceiling fan on a video call with him. <laughs> yeah. And now, yeah. <laughs> now I actually talk to his face. And so it was slowly like all of a sudden, I'd, sometimes I'd see his chin, sometimes I'd see his forehead. And now I see his whole face. And just watching people really embrace where we're at is just so, it's so beautiful to me. Wow, yeah, that, that that's true. The the pandemic has its positives and negatives, but we like to think of the positives more than the negative. Because with anything, there's always something that's good and bad about everything. But if you can make it your own, you can really make this pandemic a positive thing. I like all those people who are doing their businesses. They're just trying to find ways to overcome their mental health. Because if you lose your job, you can either decide to sit there and feel sorry for yourself and say, why me? Have that victim mentality. Oh, you can just figure out what do I need to do to get yeah. through this? So that's wonderful there's, to um, hear. Now I have a few questions so, for you. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, there's actually, um, there's an old wives tale. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I heard it when I went to school in China. And um, it, it always reminds me of things and to keep things in perspective. And so this, uh, actually, I should be mindful of time. It's about a two minute story. Do I have time to share it? <laughs> sure, um, you do. <laughs> so there's a farmer and he's just, he's hanging out mm-hmm. in this town and I'll give I'll, I always tell people the short version of the story and his uh, horse runs away. And so his neighbor comes over and goes, Oh, such bad luck. You have your horse run away. And the farmer goes, mm, it is what it is. And so then a few weeks later, mm-hmm. his horse comes back with a herd of wild horses and the neighbor comes over and says, um, Oh, what good luck you have all these horses that like makes a big deal. The farmer goes, mm, it is what it is. Uh, and so then his son is working to tame the horses, falls off and breaks an important bone. And the neighbor comes over and goes, oh, what bad luck you have. Look at this. And, you know, makes it the thing. And he says, mm, it is what it is. Goes back to his thing. Then um, a few days later, the military comes for a war and they're taking like the firstborn sons or whatever. And they can't take the son because he's broken. They look at him and say, oh, you're broken can't have you so no one in his family has to go fight the war and his neighbor comes over and says oh what good luck you have and he goes oh it is what it is and so kind of the story continues like the full version of it and i just remember the condensed version but it's so important that things are always changing mm-hmm. and we never know if they're changing for the good or bad so we just have to accept them and do our best oh i love the message that's great wow <laughs> i love to listen to the longer version because it sounds like it has a few more lessons to to focus on. So what are you trying to teach yourself this year? Ooh, that's a good one. It's funny because this year actually, so normally I start each year and I have my goals for the year and I have like my personal, my education, like my work goals, my financial goals. And um, this year I just kind of decided I wasn't going to make really big goals. Um. And just because there's mm-hmm. just been so many changes and like, I really want to do fencing, but I, there's a fencing studios open. Yeah. Oh. Um, and now like with the world being closed, my triathlon training is stepped back. So I'm just kind of waiting to see how things open. Cause it's, I feel like as soon as I get used to something, it closes again. Um, but yeah. I, um, I'm in the last year of my master's program. So my biggest goal is to kind of get through that. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Wow. It's it's amazing how educated you are and you just keep on getting better. Personal development is an ongoing thing, actually. You have to really commit and keep on going because you can have setbacks. So I'm in, impressed that you continue to work on your personal development. And I'm sure you've had failures oh, along 100%. the way. And like it's interesting, um, again, my grandfather, but he'll say, your brains, he, uh, he always says, my brain's a muscle too. And, you know, you stop working out on the muscle and it just gets fat and lazy and it doesn't do anything anymore. And that's kind of how I feel our brains are. So we got to, it doesn't have to be formal school. It could be, you know, picking up a hobby. I have a cousin who's learnt, teaching herself how to knit right now. Um, and it's just challenging mm-hmm. our mind and kind of keeping it vibrant. Oh, wow. That's your grandfather sounds like a you played an important role in your life. That's great. So if you could step into my shoes, what would you have 
asked of yourself that I didn't? Ooh, well, I'd probably say, where did you get these fabulous shoes from? Because whenever I see you in person, you are styling. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, now I'm like, oh, what shoes are you wearing today? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So I'm actually just my name on everything. So Odeon, O-D-I-O-N. Uh, Odeon, O-D-I-O-N. Yeah. 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 Y
your opinions might not be accepted by or not be liked by others, but it's people need to accept that they're your opinions. And when you do it vice versa, it totally changes the game and you're more able to come out in a way that feels comfortable to you in your own skin. Wow, I love that. That's that's powerful. <laughs> I was listening to you and I'm thinking, writing down some notes, things that are quite important to everybody. So honesty, really be authentic, comes with honesty and boundaries and communicating them. Wonderful. I just absolutely, I love the message and our audience will really take a lot from what you said. And these episodes are really about changing your perspective. And you've shared so much with us again on um on the mental health, what we can do on a go forward base, the little things that really add up. So things are not always as they, the way they seem. Change your perspective. And for our audience, if you know a youth making an impact, just in, inbox me at info at empoweredme.ca. I want to thank our wonderful guest today for such a great conversation. And I know you'll be coming back again because there's so much I wanted to ask you, but I looked at the time and I said, oh, we better end here because there's so much more. You you just come with a wealth of wisdom. So I want to thank you for being here and for sharing your experience and writing your book. So everybody go out there and get the book. It's called Breakthrough by Onion Wealth. It's on Amazon. So get it right away. You can get it on Audible, as she said, or you can get the paperback version. I have the book itself because I like tangible books. And it's also autographed by the author. It's a best-selling book. So once again, thank you, Audrey, for being our wonderful guest on our number four episode on the Authenticity Series, The Dandelion Perspective. Have a wonderful evening, afternoon, morning, wherever you are in the world. And we will see you again next month on our thank you bye everyone thank you audience